निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृतविग्रह वै ईशावतारम परमीशमिड्यम तम रामकृष्ण शिसा नमाम जननी सारदा देवी रामकृष्ण जगद्गु पादपद्मीतोश्रुवा प्रणमा मुहूर्मुह नमस्तिराजा विवेकानंदसूर सच्चिदुखस्वूपाय स्वामीतापहारिणे so now we were discussing the chapter each is great in his own place which happens to be the second chapter of swami vivekananda's karma yoga and for the last few classes we were discussing the various duties and responsibilities of a householder as has been enunciated in the mahanirvana tantra and swami vivekananda is referring to it in his lecture and as we are almost we have almost uh, covered that portion just the last paragraph is remaining it's better that before we go to the there's a, the this chapter actually ends with a story to just to show that the sanyasin and the householder both are great in their own place each is great in their own place is a very nice story today we will uh, try to relate to that story but before that the till now the salient features the main points the main duties which has been enunciated in the mahanirvana tantra which are prescribed for the householders we will just have a synopsis a very quick recapitulation of all those to have a comprehensive idea of all the responsibilities which has been spoken of in mahanirvana tantra as per the duties of the householder is concerned so a few passages from mahanirvana tantra describing the duties of an ideal householder so we saw that at the very beginning it started with the householder should be devoted to god the knowledge of god should be his goal of life yet he must work constantly perform all his duties he must give up the fruits of his actions to god so that was the very first uh, responsibility duty of a householder to be devoted to god while discussing on this point you must have you must remember that we were speaking of the fact that in life you will find that most of the time we find that we are in such a situation where the life as if can give us no solution it's all it's always good to use all our faculties to solve the problems of life but you will come we all will come that we are as if standing in a precipice just on the edge of a precipice we thought that our progress is unending we were enjoying our journey and suddenly we are as if on the end of a precipice a step farther you fall on the deep gorge there's no solution and there we come where where we find that the devotion to god the awareness of an another dimension of our existence the spiritual dimension of our existence can help us to be more resilient to cope up with the challenges of life in a calm 
persistent in a very wise manner. Why we saw <clears throat> that the simple example which we gave that in a classroom, the teacher asks the students that can you uh, draw exactly four triangles by joining four points. It's an impossible uh, uh, a question which has no answer, almost no answer. If you try to find out the answer on a plain paper, the answer is you have to mark three points on the paper and the fourth point should be on the space. Now if you joined all the points, you will get a triangular pyramid with exactly four triangular faces. So what, why we couldn't answer the problem? Because we were trying to find the answer only in the paper, only in two dimensions, the length and the breadth. We never thought that unless we take another dimension, the space into consideration, we can never find the answer to that question. Similarly, in our life, unless we are aware of our spiritual dimension, you will find that life is bound to baffle us. Why? Just we saw that what is the basic difference between an optimistic person and a pessimistic person. An optimistic person takes any problem to be something temporary. The pessimism, a pessimistic person takes the problem to be permanent. Oh, most probably there is no solution. In my life, I find that always I'm in a situation where there is no solution. There's a pessimistic attitude. A believer in God, one who is aware of the spiritual dimension of the existence, they know that this life is just a passing phase. There is in the background the eternal existence. Nothing can annihilate us. We are one with the divine as per our real existence is concerned. So whatever may happen to me in this life, it's just trivial, it cannot be permanent. This optimistic attitude comes only when you take the other dimension of existence into consideration. Otherwise this life, you will find that as if there is no solution, some problems are there. And when you take that dimension into existence, the problems actually instead of making you suffer, can actually give a sense of exhilaration. It can give you a sense of adventure. Just to give a common example, when the children go for a ride in the roller coaster, it apparently appears to be really very dangerous. Just this moment, the child is taken up almost perpendicularly to the top, and again from there falls almost perpendicularly to the bottom, and this ride goes on in various directions with a very, the journey which is very full of, as if full of dangers. One is not supposed to enjoy it. Why the child enjoys? Because somehow he's aware of the fact the entire thing has been designed in such a way that every moment he will feel that his life is in danger with full of ups and downs. But after all, he's not going to be annihilated that it is designed in such a way. It will make us feel that we are in danger, but you, are, uh, you know very well that nothing is going to happen to you. There's no damage is going to happen to you. And that's why instead of that journey being full of apparent dangers, we enjoy a ride in the roller coaster. Similarly, this life with all its perils, with all its dangers can become an adventurous journey, a thrill, if we are aware of the fact, nothing can annihilate me. Whatever may happen, it is just a ride in the roller coaster. And it is possible. There are exemplaries in the history of human evolution who have achieved that state of spiritual uh, awareness from where nothing can bother them. It's not that the life won't be having its challenges. Everyone has to have his challenges. 
no one can get rid of them but the question of evolution is not to get rid of the challenges the, our evolution is proven by the fact that we have transcended them they are there but they in no way can touch me in a classroom a teacher just draw has uh, drew a line on the blackboard and asked the students that can you shorten the line without touching it how is it possible how is it possible to shorten the line without touching it no one had any answer a small intelligent girl came and took the chalk from the teacher's hand and drew a line parallel to that short line a longer line parallel to the short line and now this line which she drew compared to that relative to that that line drawn by the teacher is short so the line which was drawn by the teacher was not touched it remained as it is but the perspective our perspective our awareness is that longer line with which we can shorten the problems of life they become trivial as in the our arathrikam song that speech this very nice that's wonderful line is there sampadatava sripada bhava goshpada varijatha what is that that if i have the lord's feet as the treasure in my heart sampada sampada means treasure tava sripada your feet if my hoots what is the treasure your feet your lotus feet is the treasure for me sampada tava sripada then if it is a treasure if i can make it a treasure then what happens bhava goshpada varijatha goshpada means in the rainy season you know when the mud when the soil is very soft and the cow walks over that soil and its hoof imprints a mark and now when the rain is when is a downpour when there is a rain that small hoof mark of the cow's feet that gets full of water even a frog can jump over it such a small uh, a, that uh, uh, the hole has been created the imprint of the leg has been hoof has been created even a frog can jump over it so it is such a small uh, distance so swami is saying the challenges of life can be as big as the ocean with no shores visible but if we can make the lord's feet as the treasure in our heart it becomes just like a the imprint of the hoof of a cow even a cow even a frog can jump over it anyone that for us it becomes something trivial it loses its enormity so that's the idea when it has been spoken of that the first quality that we should have devotion of god that awareness should be there the next thing which was spoken the second the great duty of the householder is to earn a living but he must take care that he does not do it by telling lies or by cheating or by robbing others and he must remember that his life is for the service of god and the poor so we when we were discussing you will you, you must probably remember that we were referring to the four ashramas the four stages of life spoken of in the vedas the brahmacharya the grihastha the vanaprastha the sanyasi brahmacharya the student's life grihastha the householder's life vanaprastha it's the renunciate's life at the very beginning who has resorted to upasana to various spiritual practices he has already taken care of his household duties now he has become aware more and more aware of the spiritual dimension of his existence and he has retired from the immediate responsibilities of life and when he gets habituated at last sanyasa he renounces totally very interestingly the other three stages of life the brahmacharya the student's life the retired life the renunciate's life all those life you will find the, all those stages of life they are not the earning members is the householder who is the hub 
of the entire society. On him, the other stages of life are dependent. So he, it is he who has to earn. He has to earn. But at the same time, he or she has to take care of the fact that the earning is always through proper means, through the moral means. He shouldn't tell lies or by cheating or by robbing others. Robbing others. So the stages of life are wonderful. In the student's life, now we think the student's life is the period where we have to gather information. How much information we gather. That's the education. Sometimes even we don't know what we are learning. In one American journal, a definition of education was very interesting. That education is a mysterious fact in which the notes enter from the notebook of the teacher to the notebook of the student without entering the head of either. So we know that's in our present education system. So it's just the information. It's in no way in, uh, speaks of the internalization of the values. We don't assimilate those ideas. It doesn't become the be all and end all of our existence. But in the Vedic period, the real student's life was actually to internalize the values. You know that for the four ashramas, there were four purusharthas, the four goals to be pursued. For a brahmachari, the goal was dharma. The four goals are dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Since dharma was for the student. What does dharma means? It's not the conventional way we understand religion. Dharma means dharayate iti dharma, that which holds us. In our life as a human being, if we don't hold on to certain values, certain character, we will find that that becomes, that lack of proper character becomes a disintegrating factor. It destroys us. So as a student, the main thing was that to internalize the values, not just to gather information, that if there is a fact of called God as the ultimate existence, and if God's creation is for cooperation, for uh, just having a win-win situation, for the yajna, then we, where that we all have to contribute to it, where my own selfish end is not the most important thing. I have to contribute. I have a certain purpose in life and that I have to fulfill through all the contributions, through all the productiveness uh, for which I am entitled. So to learn those things means the character. The character is nothing. There's only two phrases the formation of character has been described in our scriptures, which Swamiji also has to always used to refer to. What is dharma and adharma? Just parapukara punyaya papaya parapiranam. That any act which helps, which which helps me, which enables me to reach out by being of some service to others, that is that all is dharma, that is punya. What is papa? Parapiranam. If any way I become the cause of suffering for others, that is papa. And for that, we have to internalize the values. We have to discipline ourselves. And that was the main thing for the student's life. Now, with all those virtues, when that person enters the householder's life, now he is entitled for artha and karma. He is entitled to earn money, he is entitled to enjoy the sensed pleasures of life. They are the Purusharthas. Householder is entitled for that. No one will blame them for that. But it has to be done with the dharma, with the values which he has internalized as a brahmachari. That becomes the guiding force. Otherwise the life will get disintegrated. So that's the thing which has been enunciated here. The great duty of the householder is to earn a living but he must take care that he does not do it by telling lies or by cheating or by robbing others. And he must remember that his life is for the service of God and the poor. The third responsibility towards the parents. 
knowing that mother and father are the visible representatives of God, the householder always and by all means must please them. If a mother is pleased and the father, God is pleased with the man. That child is a really good child who never speaks harsh words to his parents. That how our destiny is formed by being a well-behaved child. While discussing, we told that it's not something that if you are well-behaved, God will bless you. Yes, God will bless you. But not just as a, what you say, just as a deliberate blessing. It happens by the formation of character unknowingly. If I am always, I make it a point that I will not speak a harsh words towards my parent. I will try to obey them, try to cooperate them. You are actually developing, we are actually developing soft skills through that. When as a elderly person, as a responsible person, we will have to reach out through our responsibilities uh, in the entire society. At that time, these are the values which as soft skill will help us to prosper in life. As we told that nowadays in our, uh, the management, this, uh, this is a very oft quoted sentence that you will be hired for your hard skills. That whatever grades you have in your certificates, whatever achievements you have through your certificates, they are the hard skills. They can be somehow quantized, measured, they are there. You will be hired for them, but you will be fired for your lack of soft skills. If I have never learned how to work as a team, how to give importance to others' opinion, and just try to compare my viewpoint with them and give proper weightage without being biased to my own opinion, how to not to boss over others, we will find that in our present workday life, these are the things which actually unnecessarily takes away all our energy. The energy which we had, which we could have really uh, spent in some productive way is actually wasted because of this mere, this office politics. Why it happens? We have not developed that soft skills. Why we have not developed? From childhood, we were extremely pampered. That's the modern education system. The child, uh, shouldn't be uh, just even scolded and they don't uh, they, we don't understand that without going through that rigorous training just in a day we cannot change ourselves our condition becomes like the fox of the Aesop's fable a fox fell in the blue dye and when it came out all the other animals thought it to be a new animal and thought let us make this new creature to be our king and the fox now made it a point that it shouldn't howl because once it howls, it will be discovered. They all will discover who the actually that creature is. And now the fox tried its best for few days to keep quiet. But you know, the innate nature, the inner nature is such that almost forces you to do something which you even consciously feel is not supposed to be done. And that's what happens with the fox. After three, four days, suddenly it gives a howl <clears throat> and all the fox in the forest just reciprocates by howling and he is immediately discovered. And that's what happens with us by just being a pampered child, by not behaving well, we start growing up and think, yes, when we are qualified, when we go to the job, we will change ourselves. It can never happen unless we have trained ourselves from our childhood. And the best way is that immediate, the, our elders, our father, our mother, who means a lot to us, the love they, which they give is totally unselfish. We are not going to get that love in the world and from anyone else. If there we cannot learn how to behave, there is no chance of learning it in future, however we may try. So once we learn those skills, our destiny automatically is built. All you will find in your life, that all your opportunities are opening up because you have already acquired the soft skill unknowingly. 
And that's the thing which has been spoken of here. So knowing that the mother and father are the visible representatives of God, because they have given you the life, this physical body, still uh, that's when Swami Vivekananda, he found that his father is giving away his wealth to all his relatives. Naturally, he one day went and asked his father, you're just giving away all the wealth to all the relatives. What do I inherit? Naren's father, Narendranath's father, was a very broad person. And the reply was something wonderful. He told you, want to know what you inherit? Go and stand in front of the mirror. You will understand what you inherit. This wonderful physic, this wonderful personality which you have, it is from the childhood, it is we, the parents, as the representatives of the divine, we were bound to nourish you, educate you. What more do you want? It is not to make you a creeper. It is just to make you a, not to make you a crustacean with the, all the hardness outside of a shell. You just press it, inside it is so vulnerable. We want to make, we wanted to make you a real vertebrate. The outside it may be soft, but the spine is strong. So you have to stand on your own feet. And we were just doing that. What more do you want? Once you are just a responsible being, now it is you who have to stand on your own feet. You have to earn. What do you speak of inheritance? The inheritance is this, what you just go and stand in front of the mirror. That's what you inherit. So what a wonderful answer he's giving. His father is just giving to Swamiji. So that's the thing. That's why they're the visible representatives of God. It is because of them. We, when we were born, we were just a helpless being. We cannot exist by our own effort. It's the parents who has, uh, was responsible for our growth, for our nourishment, for what we are. So they're the visible representatives of God. God has taken care of us through them. And that's why the householder by all means must please them. If that's why if the mother is pleased, the father and the father, God is pleased with that man. That man is really a good child who never speaks harsh words to his parents. Next, two, woman as a man, woman to wife, what's the responsibility? Before woman, he must not talk improper language and never brag of his powers. This is very important. This speaks of too much obsession with oneself. The narcissistic attitude. Such persons can be very dangerous. Sometimes we think that yes, he has the habit of just talking about himself. Otherwise, he's a very nice person. Know it for certain. Such a person who is constantly bragging about himself and never even gives a little importance to the other person in the long run is, to be, is going to be a big problem. Because such persons are extremely selfish. They always want to nourish their ego and nothing else matters in life. So this is the characteristic which we find of which the Mahanirvana Tantra is speaking. That he must not brag of his powers that speaks of too much obsession with himself. He must not say I have done this and I have done that. That speaks that such a person can never be caring. They can never be caring. So, this is the thing of which Mahanirvana Tantra is making us aware. The fifth, the householder must always please his wife and never do anything to disturb her. That man who has succeeded in getting the love of a chaste wife has succeeded in his religion and has all the virtues. So that also we were discussing that in a family life, this is a great thing. If our love is not surface deep, if we can really see to the core of our existence, then we are bound to respect each other. Because the essence, in essence, we are all divine. Love cannot be surface deep. It is, if it is surface deep, it is mere infatuation. It is not love. It has to be the recognition of the inner spirit within us. And then the love finds expression as respect towards each other. If everyone in essence is the divine and we try to recognize that fact, we give importance to that fact, 
then our behavior, the behavior pattern should change. It has to change. It has to find as expression through respect. The other name of love is respect. The other name of love is responsibility. If a person says that I love flower and but never waters the plant, then you can be sure of the fact he never loves flower. The love means you have to nourish. You have to take care. So love means responsibility, love means care, love means respect. So that's the thing which has to find expression through one's behavior. That was spoken of that if the wife is pleased, then he has succeeded in his religion and has all the virtues. Because there again, that it speaks that you have developed the faculty to recognize the divinity in other beings. And the first thing to practice is your own household, is your own wife. You can think of the society. Later, first think, let the love and charity start at home. From there it should start. There are many who goes out for social work, doing a lot of services, but we find that that's so indifferent to the family life. So that's no service at all. It should serve. You should, your intention should first be to serve the family and then to move out from there. So that's the first responsibility which has been spoken of. After that, the following are the duties towards children. First take, have a wonderful relationship with the wife, the husband and wife should have a wonderful relationship. And then it should extend to the children. The son should be lovingly reared up to his fourth year. He should be educated till he's 16. Then when he's 20 years of age, he should be employed in some work. He should then be treated affectionately by his father as his equal. Exactly in the same manner, the daughter should be brought up and should be educated with the greatest care. And when she marries, the father ought to give her jewels and wealth. As we were indicating, the dowry system had some good intention. So when the children are growing up, both the boy and the girl inherit equally. None should be deprived. So now as and after the marriage, the daughter has to go to the in-law's house. So she shouldn't be deprived from what she inherits. That's why the father in the form of dowry actually gives to her daughter what she is supposed to inherit. That's, but nowadays the dowry system has become an evil because it's not the father as per the means what he gives to the daughter. It is the in-laws who demand and then it becomes total, it, total value becomes, it's totally becomes a corrupt practice. So if the father, as for the means, is just sharing the part of the property which the daughter inherits, that is quite good. And that was actually indicated that when they are grown up, exactly in the same manner, the daughter should be brought up and should be educated with the greatest care. And when she marries, the father ought to give her jewels and wealth. That was quite reasonable. And then the duty of the man is towards his brothers and sisters. After taking care of the wife, the children now has to extend to the brothers, sisters, to the entire family. As when we were discussing, we were mentioning that sometimes some of the words meaning changes. Nowadays the word three means wife. But actually the word three means the one with whose help you are expanding. Means three, the word three is from Vistar. Three means Vistar. Vistrita. To the one through whom you are expanding. Vistar means to expand. That when a man is getting married, the wife is the three for the man. And for the wife, the husband is the three. That sense. Because mutually, they, through, that they will be helping each other. And then each of them will be ex expanding their family through that relation. It's not a very selfish relation that you and me and let the world let us forget. To encapsulate just with the sensitive pleasures of life was in no way the goal of the Vedic tradition. The marriage was there to take care of the extended family, to vistar, to reach out. 
So that's you will find. Wonderful. First, the person is taking care of the wife, the children, and now then the duty of the man is towards his brothers and sisters and towards the children of his brothers and sisters if they are poor and towards his own, to his other relatives, his friends and his servants. Wherever, immediate, whoever you find is having the need, you have any need, you reach out through your service to meet their needs. Then his duties are towards the people of the same village and the poor and anyone that comes to him for help. Having sufficient means, if the householder does not take care to give to his relatives and to the poor, know him to be only a brute, he is not a human being. As we were indicating, it was a social structure where the reformation was from bottom to top, not from top to bottom. You will find that uh, the Vedic society was a quite loose, loose society means there was no such rules and regulations imposed from the top, from the, some administration. Nothing was there. You will find that uh, in the, uh, as per the Western civilization, the wonderful thing is that whenever there is a crisis, the government is there to help out. There, is, there are so many uh, welfare activities operated through the government to help out and we find it's a wonderful society. But people really get surprised when in India, in spite of this very loose administration, the society thrives. How it thrives, if you really want to know, it is because of this. The training was that each and every individual don't depend on the social structure as a whole, or don't depend on the administration. Each and every member has to reach out, try to help others. So that way we will find that whenever there is crisis, suppose there is a flood, how much help comes from the government? Yes, nowadays, of course, the government also helps. But you will find that apart from that, a huge amount of help, a substantial amount of help is coming from the individuals. They reach out, they come together, form small groups, and they, in their, whatever the means they have, with that, they are trying to help others in whatever way possible. And that's how, in spite of big disasters, you will find, the society is still striving, thriving. So here, the reformation was from bottom to top, not from top to bottom. And that's the, because of this wonderful the structure, through all these uh, responsibilities, through all these... Uh, rules, regulations, respons responsibilities, which we find has been enunciated in the scriptures, especially here in the Maha Nirvana Tantra. That has formed a wonderful society. Excessive attachment to food, clothes, and the tending of the body and dressing of the hair should be avoided. As we were indicating, that the, if my wealth is for the service of others, then these all becomes just uh, the means of a consumerism that I earn and I am quite affluent and what to do? I just spend in all sorts of luxury. Actually the wealth which I have earned could have been really utilized in a very productive way by reaching out, by helping others. So that instead of that it has become a matter of consumerism. But we, we shouldn't be just uh, hating consumerism uh, bluntly. Even consumerism, consumerism can be good if it is done with a proper awareness. Uh, to be, uh, just to give a common example, when Swami Vivekananda was in the West, we find that in one of his lectures he's indicating that luxury also is good to a certain extent because it creates job. Even Swamiji was quite aware of that fact. To give a common example, in, uh, when I was in India, uh, I was uh, associated with one of the mission schools. And there, the drink, there was a problem with the drinking water. It had too much of iron. We had water, but the water had too much of iron. So it was not suitable for drinking. 
So the State Bank of India, there we approached them and they came and then they told we will install some water filtering plant and that uh, will enable your students to access drinking water. And that filtering plant was not something uh, very costly. In Indian rupees, it was it just uh, was some 25,000 rupees. But now to after the installation, they wanted to have a ceremony and a celebration, an event where their contributions should be acknowledged. So we, we accepted that fact and we found that the amount the State Bank of India was spending to have that celebration, the way they decorated our school hall, the amount of refreshments they brought, many, many started just uh, uh, criticizing the amount they donated for the water filter plant is nothing compared to the amount they're spending in all these uh, things which are actually a waste. And then they asked, uh, they all were criticizing and were asking me, isn't it a waste? I told, okay, I won't reply now. I cannot reply to each and every one of you separately. It is just, uh, I will be totally exhausted. Why not uh, give me a scope to reply about it when they will ask me to speak to acknowledge their gift. They will ask me, being a, a part of the school, they will ask me. So when they asked me really to speak on it, the one thing I told was this how State Bank is helping the society. It's not just by donating this water filter plant. They have arranged for this decoration with the flowers. Those who are having this flower business, this, this, uh, there's a florist, so they, they could become self-reliant because such they have increased. Uh, the, the purchasing power of the bank has enabled them to stand on their own feet. So the bank has helped them. From where they have brought the refreshment, the bank has helped those persons to excel. So consumerism also, the luxury is also good because we know that in the society, even when we get the uh, means for our, uh, what do you say, that sustenance from food and all the essential things. Then there are a huge population who will have no job. You will find every year there are so many farmers who are committing suicide because the food which has been produced is more than uh, what is needed. It is not sold in the market. So they don't know how to sustain themselves. So we need some other works. So just if all instead of going to produce food, would have made some luxury goods. Those luxury goods, if we use, that way we are helping to create job, to help the people to sustain. That's why Guru Maharaj, even Sri Ramakrishna, the one who always used to be absorbed in the divine, they're always absorbed in the spiritual domain. He also used to give some very practical advice. When he, when he found that his disciples were going to attend some fair, some village fair, Ramakrishna very strictly instructed that just don't loiter about in the fair and enjoy. You should buy something and when you come back, show me. Even in Belumat, even at, in the present, you know that on Guru Maharaj's uh, birthday, public celebration is there. And there are so many stalls for, with so many items. All the elder swamis will give some money to the brahmacharis. We will get some money even from the President Maharaj. Why? that when we are going to the fair, we should buy something because all those people are sustained. So it is in this life, we cannot criticize anything simply just on its face value. Everything can be good, can be bad. It's only the awareness that can actually make the thing good or bad, not the thing what which I'm doing. So nowadays, yes, this excessive attachment to the food clothes in the previous society it was not needed. It was a very simple structure. In the present day, if even I am having some little idea of this luxury, if it's with that attitude, I go out and my purchase actually helps to sustain the society, then instead of attachment, it also becomes a type of service. But we have to have that balance. We should know where to stop. That whether it is out of the sense of consumerism, I'm going out, or yes, 
I take care of my family responsibility after that with the little excess money I keep for luxury and that also it speaks of my taste and apart from that it actually helps the society as a whole to sustain itself it becomes a service so that's the thing which has been indicated so it is excessive attachment is bad to foods clothes and the tending of the body and dressing of hair should be avoided to his enemies the householder must be a hero as we were indicating that here again the attitude is important that to the enemies i am not acting out of vengeance but at the same time i have the right to protect myself and to protect my household so instead of biting like a snake just throwing the poison out just injecting the poison what i do i just hiss i make a show of anger inwardly that the anger is not something which i cultivate but i do make a show of anger i do make a show of resistance so that i protect myself so i have to be a hero but with an attitude not to harm others not to hate others but to protect myself so that's the thing to the enemies the householder must be a hero for a monk he can just uh, uh, resort to the practice of total surrender to god he may not resist evil at all just we see that jesus is still worshiped because even the one who are crucifying to them his blessing that makes that person great but as a householder it will be our responsibility to his for a total renunciate who has nothing to hold on he can just just simply surrender he can even bless the enemies but for a householder he can of course bless the enemies but he has to be a hero he should hiss but not bite so that's the thing which has been indicated he must struggle to acquire a good name by all means as in the last class we were discussing that if spiritual evolution is our goal then why should we try to acquire good name good reputation because that becomes becomes the second line of defense when we are trying to evolve spiritually it may happen always we cannot keep our temperament our attitude to that high level the world may lure us and we may find that our mind is sliding but if there is a second line of defense that will protect us instead of allowing us to get totally shattered those acts as a second line of defense that if i do something which is very crude it is going to tarnish my family reputation that's very good it's going to tarnish my own reputation that's good ultimately my i shouldn't do it for that ultimate goal is the spiritual goal to really evolve spiritually is my goal but here this becomes at least the second line of defense as in the last class we were telling you will find when the children are out of the family as long as they were with the father and mother they were quite well behaved now because for the studies they have gone to some far off place they are staying by their own and then we find it is among those that the tendency to have some licentious behavior is more why it happens when i'm out of the family far in the far off place then i don't have that sense that anything which i if i do some crude things it is going to turn is the name of my family it's, that sense is not there because i'm far away from the family so you now you will understand that why that family is a great help the reputation of the household is a great help if i'm aware of that then even if i am not acting from the spiritual uh, ideal at least it will help me to hold somewhere that yes my name and fame, my name my reputation shouldn't be spoiled so that's why of course first thing is there's always the god should be in our awareness but also we should be aware of the good name by of our reputation we should struggle to maintain that to acquire a good name by all means often people the 11th point which we were discussing often people enter into things they have not the means to accomplish so here in the 11th point the two factors of failure will be spoken of in life why we fail so sometimes we enter into some we enter into some uh, 
responsibilities which we have no means to accomplish. We have taken a bite more than we can chew. That's the thing which we just in the modern language we say that we have we have a, the bite is, is we have a bite which is more than we can chew. So what happens? Then we are bound to cheat others. If you have done that, that any responsibility which I have taken is after all to do to help someone in some way. And now if I don't have the means, of course, I will be cheating. I will be cheating them. And that's the thing which is mentioned with the result that they cheat others to attain their own ends. Suppose you have, don't have certain skills and you take some responsibilities and as you have taken the responsibility, you have to prove yourself that you are uh, quite capable and that way you will be covering up because you don't have the skills and that you are bound to cheat others. So that's one of the cause of the failure. Then there is in all things a time factor to be taken into consideration. As we were given an example, sometimes this we think we are a failure, but most probably we are not. So there's a specific example which we are giving that when the children are growing up, we find that however we try to instruct them in the positive ways of living, they don't give years. And we find sometimes our effort is a failure. But we should know everyone has a time factor that my instructions are not a failure. They are entering to the years, they are staying in his mind. It will fructify in proper time. The experience of life will season him. He will be matured with the experience of life. And then these teachings will be of help. So we shouldn't feel frustrated. We shouldn't stop what we are supposed to do. Let us go on doing without any, uh, what you say that, uh, aim to get immediate result. Let us go on doing patiently what we are supposed to do. The result will take in its own time. So the, this time factor is a very important thing. So that's in the last class we were just discussing that sloka in Sanskrit, that there are four process of learning. The one fourth of the learning comes from the teacher, Acharyat Padamadhyat, Padam Shishyasa Medhaya. The another one fourth, our own intellect. All are not uh, having the equal intelligence, equal focus, equal concentration. So in a class there are 10 students, the same instruction, all don't comprehend in the same way. So one fourth comes from the teacher, one fourth from the intellect. Padam Sabrahmacharibhya. The teacher left the classroom, the students now start discussing among themselves. There are so many things that I, I, I couldn't understand when the teacher was teaching. Now through those discussions, that becomes clear. So that's why nowadays the idea of the peer groups are there in the school. In our, in, the, in our days, we used to face the teachers. Now if you go, you will find that all the students are sitting around. That it's not only the teacher's instruction. It is a discussion they have among themselves. That is also very important. So Padam Sabrahmacharibhya, the third. The last one fourth is very important. Padam Kalakramenacha. There are so many things we cannot comprehend immediately. The life's experiences makes us mature, makes us seasoned. And then we find, yes, that thing was told. Then we can acknowledge. And then we can really know the value of what was taught. That's why we will find that however unruly a children may be when they're young, the more they grow old, you will find there are many who are quite unruly as a small child. But as an elderly matured person, they start understanding the role of the parents and develop a much more deeper respect for them. Because now the experiences of life enables them to understand the role they played when they were a small child. So leave it. This, this all those things will take its own due course. So don't think of getting the result immediately. So what is a failure is an apparent failure. Don't be bothered about it. Be patient. In time, everything is going to happen. So that's the, the one first is we shouldn't just uh, bite more than we can chew. And the second that everything has that then there is in all things the time factor to be taken into consideration. What at one time might be a failure, 
but perhaps at another time be a very great success. The householder must speak the truth and speak gently using words which people like, which will do good to others, nor should he talk of the business of other men. The Satyam Bruyat Priyam Bruyat, we were speaking, that speak the truth but speak it gently, that don't speak harsh words. Just we gave that example that harsh words, though it may appear to be true, is never true. Why? When you are scolding a child, if you say you are silly, maybe it's true, he has done some silly act and you say you are silly, but it is actually false statement. Why? Your child is actually divine. At that particular moment, because out of ignorance, because out of some uh, wrong understanding has done something silly, but that doesn't make him silly through eternity. He's divine. That act is silly. So the same thing we could have told in a very nice way. Oh, you are such a nice chap. I have such a great expectation from you. I never thought you can do as such a silly act. So now you will find that truth, the real truth can never be harsh. So you have to speak the truth and speak it gently. If I find the truth I'm speaking is harsh, know it for certain, apparently it is appearing to be truth, but it is not the truth. Somewhere it is actually ascribing to the falsity. So it is actually adhering to the falsity, uh, something which is not true. So speak Satyam Bruyat, Priyam Bruyat. So how we have to train ourselves, how wonderfully the scripture is speaking of it. Then the 13th point, the householder by digging tanks, by planting trees on the roadsides, by establishing rest houses for men and animals, by making roads and building bridges goes towards the same goal as the highest yogi. So this is the proactive goodness which we are speaking of. That goodness generally we think something like passive. I don't harm others, so I am good. And evil is something active. I harm others, I move out, I reach out to harm others. But goodness is something passive. That's the wrong way of understanding goodness. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, this world is Shakti Relaka, the domain of energy, the domain of power. If you have to, uh, just if the good has to prevail over evil, if the good has to prevail over evil, it is through force. It has to be Mother Durga with the ten hands, the synergetic force of the entire, of all the devas, the synergetic goodness of all the, the entire society in the proactiveness can really speak of the real goodness. It cannot be just a passive something. Just evil always finds expression as energy. The goodness to counteract that evil has to find expression as proactiveness. This mere passiveness is no goodness at all. It appears as goodness. So that's why we find that proactive goodness has been spoken of. That after you have taken care of the family, move out in whatever way possible uh, to really be helpful to the society. So that's the thing. There's so many means are there. You are digging tanks. In those days, those things were there. Now, uh, yes, the means may have changed that some other ways uh, we can think of. But the main idea is that, that after the, whatever means you have, with that you try to reach, uh, reach out to society through some form of proactiveness. So that's the thing we have spoken of in the 13th point. The 14th, if the householder, this is the thing which we haven't discussed in the last class, if the householder dies in battle, fighting for his country or his religion, he comes to the same goal as a yogi by meditation. You may say, how? So one actually, when someone asks Sri Ramakrishna, when shall I be free? In Bengali, Ami Mukta Habo Kabe. Sri Ramakrishna was a master in playing pun with the words. When he asked, when shall I be free? His reply was, when I within the inverted commas, that I is within the inverted commas, when I cease to be. Sometimes even the, that's our, you will find in Satya Yuga, the yogis used to uh, do tapasya for thousands of years, then also they are not getting mukti. 
And Ramakrishna is saying in Kali Yuga, to get Mukti is so easy. Even in the scriptures say, immediately in a very short time you can get Mukti. You know why? When the things are all favorable, there is no external hindrance. You are meditating and you are getting attached to that higher, that sattvic disposition of yours. That is also attachment. Golden chain is also a chain. You are still attached to an I, that I has, is refined, but still that sense of limited I, that individuality is there, you are attached. And to get rid of that, it takes thousands of years. That's what he said in Satya Yuga. In Kali Yuga, if you take a resolution, whatever may be the situation, I will stick to the truth. Know it for certain, your liberation can be immediate. Why, what, why you know? Because the social structure is such, the corruption is so prevalent, all the evil doings are so prevalent, to practice goodness is a big tapasya, is a big austerity here. You'll find it is almost not possible. And then what happens if your love for the ideal is such, just like a mother's love for the child, if the ideal can become your child and you can become the mother, just the way the mother is ready even to sacrifice her life for the child. That my I, that petty I, I am re ready to relinquish for something else. That happens for the ideal. I am ready to relinquish my I. The I which was lingering for a yogi for thousands of years, that falls off immediately. So that's why how nicely it has been in the scriptures, it has been mentioned. When you are fighting for a righteous cause, against corruption, against the some, uh, uh, what do you say, some thing, some neighbors who are trying to harm us b because of some uh, selfish reasons. There, for some ideal when you're moving out, and if you lose your life, then for, you just to grab, just your hold to the ideal is so strong that your hold to the eye has fallen off just by holding to that. And the liberation can be immediate. So that's why the last point which Swamiji from the Mahanirvana Tantra was discussing is if you read the Vedas, you will find this word always repeated. Fearlessness, fear nothing. Fear is a sign of weakness. In this life, this is this point we will end this today's discussion. Many of us will say that it is impossible to practice truthfulness in the present day. In your office, everywhere you will find compromise, compromise, compromise. One thing we can just say in this regard, the soldier who is facing the enemy, he cannot say or she cannot say that I have a family, I have my son, I have my daughter, for them I retreat. Cannot. But the soldier whose sacrifice is enabling us to lead so-called stable life, there we don't feel we are soldiers. Here every day we are compromising with the truth. Now you may say it is impossible. I would say just let us change the way we speak it out. We say ideal is ideal. I don't have the courage to really be up to it. Constantly, you know, if you ask a small child, do you want to be good? Not a single child will say, I want to be bad. Everyone, if you, if you just uh, say a child that you are not good, immediately he will assert back, I am good. Everyone wants to be good. Then what happens in the course of life that we knowingly or unknowingly start compromising with the truth? You know why? Why our consciousness gets crooked as we grow up? Just the reason for which the reverse course become crooked. When the river is flowing down from the mountain, as it comes to the plains, you will find its course is gradually getting crooked. This is never a straight course. Yes, if the force of the river is great like Amazon, then it goes straight to the ocean with a tremendous force. But for most of the river, don't have that force. When they come down, when they find a rocky terrain, what they do immediately, they will try to divert their direction to some soft, soft land and that's how their course gets crooked deviated again and again again and again in our life with all our consciousness when we are trying our best to lead a good life we find some obstruction from the society in some way or other 
we turn, take a little turn to avoid that rocky terrain and we compromise. And constantly our conscience is getting crooked. Why it happens? Because we don't have the sufficient courage. If we had courage, in Kali Yuga it was a great advantage. All these rocky tyrants were not there in Satya Yuga. It is there in this Yuga. If we have sufficient courage, the liberation can happen immediately. It's mentioned in the scriptures because this tapas, this opportunity to relinquish your ego in one go because of your attachment to the ideal and for that you have sufficient courage to face all the challenges would have immediately liberated you. But when we say that it is not possible, actually we are doing the mistake by saying what we are doing, that it is possible, we don't have the sufficient courage to do it. So if we really want, even through family, to just uh, go to the ultimate spiritual goal, immediately it's possible, there's a great opportunity. For that we have need that sufficient courage. You will find some people are there, in spite of all the shorts of evil doings and corruptions in the society. There are some person who is ready even to relinquish their life for sticking to the ideal. They were never going to deviate. And in such cases, you know, liberation can happen immediately. And that's why the Vedas, almost in the, as a conclusion Swamiji is saying, that the ultimate idea is abhi, fearlessness. Fear nothing. Fear is the sign of weakness. So in a very grand way, Swamiji is ending the discussion on that what should be the ideal of the householders. So the 15th point, we can just say there this, that let us not say it is not possible. Let us say, I don't have the sufficient courage. It's quite okay. I'm not yet developed to have the sufficient courage to really face the challenges, but it is possible. So let us keep that option open. And there are person who shows by their life that that option is really open to us. So with this, we stop our discussion today. In the next class, we will just illustrate the story and go to the next chapter in which the story is very interesting that each is great in his own place. The monk and his householder, each is great in his own place. How through self-sacrifice, both can go to the same goal that we will illustrate through a wonderful story, which we'll take up in the next class. Thank you. Uh, for just bearing with me with today just for revising. I took a bit more time. Uh, thank you. We conclude the class here today. Namaskar Swamiji. Namaskar. Today Swamiji. is one of the best explanations. <laughs> today is a very good explanation of the householders' duties uh, with some very memorable uh, metaphors. I think that is what will stick more in people's minds, uh, though we hear a lot about householder, I think today was one of the most succinct description of uh, the householder duty. Very easy to remember because of your very appropriate metaphors. Thank you very much, Swamiji. Uh, uh, namaskar. 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 Namaskar.